Welcome to the 14th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are college basketball and a preview of Super Bowl 55. Let's jump right in with a look back at some of last week's most significant games in college basketball, starting with last Friday, where number 7 Iowa was upset by number 19 Illinois, 80 to 75, and UNC Asheville upset previously undefeated Winthrop, 57-55. Patrick, your thoughts on these games? Illinois beating Iowa was an upset I picked to happen in my weekend predictions because I just believe they are one of the few teams in the Big Ten who have more talent than Iowa. And Kofi Coburn matches up as well as you could ask for with Luca Garza in the post. Uh, and the commentator's curse struck hard last week for Winthrop after narrowly beating UNC Asheville a few days, maybe even the day before uh, earlier. I said that I've um, <laughs> never talked about them before, basically. I mean, I think they won their tournament last year and they were going to be in the, in the NCAA tournament before it got canceled, but I haven't really ever talked about Winthrop. And I commented that they were undefeated and they deserve some recognition for doing so. And literally minutes, a few minutes, a few hours-ish after we were done recording that podcast, they lost their undefeated season at 16-0. So pretty unfortunate for them. All right. Well, um, let's see if your jinx uh, applies to any other teams as we run down some significant action starting uh, with the rest of the week on Saturday. Number 20, Virginia Tech upset. Number 8, Virginia 65-51. Penn State upset number 13, Wisconsin 81-71. Georgia Tech upset number 16, Florida State 76-65. Purdue beat number 21, Minnesota 81-62. And Arizona State upset Stanford in Pac-12 play 79-75. Would like to say, first of all, also that we're not talking about the Big 12 SEC Challenge games because we did that on our last podcast. So this is uh, all the other action on Saturday, and basically outside of that challenge, it was all upsets. Uh, even the game that I'm declaring isn't an upset because I think in Vegas the betting line actually favored Purdue. It, it was the low, it was the unranked team beating a ranked team. Um, Virginia had an eight-point lead at the half and somehow still lost to Virginia Tech, even though Virginia Tech didn't have their sophomore guard and starting uh, starting guard Tyrese Radford. But they'll have to get used to that because Radford is suspended indefinitely due to a uh, court case and stuff surrounding that. So Hokies are going to have to get used to playing without him. So I guess this is their new look team, and it's looking pretty good so far. Uh, But in the Big Ten, Penn State is easily the best team in basketball with a sub-500 winning percentage. This team is really capable of beating any team in the Big Ten when they're on their game, and they proved that with this upset over Wisconsin. Going back to the ACC, Georgia Tech is in dire need of big wins to have a chance at making the NCAA tournament. This win over Florida State was a very quality one for the Yellow Jackets, and they finally found a way to slow down Florida State, who was on a five-game winning streak. The episode by Purdue was another game that I had predicted correctly in my weekend predictions last week, but the fashion in which it happened was a little strange, and I actually remember I told you, you probably remember this, in the middle of the day, that while Purdue was down 26-15 to 15 towards the end of the first half, I told you that Purdue is a second-half team, and they're probably going to win this game somehow, and Minnesota wasn't beating them by enough yet, which sounds crazy because it was about five minutes left in the first half, and Purdue still only had 15 points. And it looks like I was right. Purdue outscored Minnesota in the second half, 51-27, and that doesn't even include the run that brought the game to within five before the half. And a talented but yet struggling Arizona State team finally, finally found a way to win the game that might put their season back in order. 
I'm not here to proclaim whether this win did that or not yet, but I can proclaim easily that this was a very bad loss for Stanford, who is trying to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Arizona State's one of those teams that uh, people might have on their list of most disappointing teams of the year, although they've swept their in-state rival Arizona twice. Um, we'll see how Arizona State closes out the season. Let's move to Sunday's action. Number 13, Ohio State beat Michigan State 79-62. to And St. John's defeated Marquette 75-73 in a really good game. Ohio State is on a roll now, hoping to be seriously considered as a title contender while Michigan State's season is tumbling out of control. It looks increasingly likely that Michigan State will miss the NCAA tournament this year, too. I didn't even have them anywhere on my bubble report uh, at, at the time of actually the Saturday bracket and then also the Tuesday bracket, which then included further this loss. So they're, they're way out of it um, in most people's minds. St. John's was quietly having a decent season in the Big East, but they needed to get some wins over teams in the upper echelon of the conference to garner some more national respect. This win over Marquette might have started to get them that national respect, but we'll come back to them for something they did later this week that really got them that respect. All right, let's move to Monday's action. Uh, Louisville beating Georgia Tech 74-58. Number 13, Texas Tech beating Oklahoma. Number 10 ranked Oklahoma 57-52 in another great game. Uh, Miami upsetting Duke 77-75. Louisville got the bounce back when they desired after losing to Clemson in their prior outing. Georgia Tech got uh, one quality win over Florida State, but with this loss to Louisville, that might not have been a sign of things to come. Maybe just an anomaly. Who knows, though? I, I think they're a capable team, but they might not be among the teams that will be making the tournament, sadly, um, especially because there's a lack of good wins to get in the ACC this year. I think that Oklahoma got a little too much credit for their wins last week. They were just put in the perfect circumstances, in my opinion, to beat Texas and Alabama. I, I talked about how Texas was lacking players, and Alabama on a 10-game win streak, you figured they might take a game off when they're not in the height of SEC play. And while they took advantage of those opportunities, and they certainly deserve credit for that, Texas Tech was able to beat them in this mono-a-mono matchup with neither team having any uh, roster issues whatsoever as opposed to that Texas game where maybe they did a little bit. Um, Duke continues to underperform this season, heading into what is the biggest rivalry game in college basketball this Saturday against North Carolina. They're in very, very grave danger of missing the NCAA tournament entirely. All right, let's move to Tuesday's action, which uh, includes the North Carolina Tar Heels that you just mentioned. We'll get to them last. Num start with number 24, Purdue, being upset by Maryland, 61-60. Number two, Baylor beating number six, Texas, 83-69. Number eight, uh, Iowa held off Michigan State in a very close game, uh, closer than the final score indicated, 84-78. Ole Miss upset number 11, Tennessee, 52-50. Number 19, Wisconsin bounced back with a win over Penn State, 72-56. Number 12, Illinois beat Indiana, 75-71 in overtime. And as mentioned before, Clemson beat North Carolina, 63-50. Patrick, your reaction to these games? Maryland continues to win games against teams higher ranked than them uh, by slim, slim margins and also losing those same games. But uh, this one actually was their first home win in the Big Ten this year. They had three road wins all against ranked teams in the Big Ten, yet couldn't beat a team at home, which is very, very strange. Uh, Baylor just made another argument for being the number one team in the country with this one over Texas, and they, in my opinion, they went from a, a, number, a number two team that was barely behind Gonzaga to really a 1A, 1B situation between those two. The Big 12 has posed as many challengers to knock off Baylor as they could have, 
and none of them have, and frankly, none of them have really... I mean, they've kept it close, but I think that's all we can say about them. I feel like most of these games have never been in doubt for Baylor, and it just shows that they have a real shot of going undefeated even, and they are definitely, definitely in the running for the national championship. Uh, and that Iowa-Michigan State game, it kind of felt like a last gasp from Michigan State, especially with the rivalry game against Michigan being canceled. It seems like that was the game where they decided to leave their all on the court, and if they won, it could be a great turning point for them, could be the start of something new. But uh, the loss, I feel like, kind of puts an extra puts an extra dagger in their heart, kind of shows, look, even when you play your best and you're playing above expectations, you're still not as good as the cream of the crop in this conference, and you don't have what it takes to compete. Uh, and they really have a severe lack of quality wins now, and they're basically going to be relying on the Big Ten tournament to make it into the big dance. Tennessee has not played their best basketball recently, and this loss to Ole Miss was no different. Scoring only 50 points probably won't allow you to sneak by uh, sneak by any team, and it definitely didn't for Tennessee. Penn State seems to have trouble stringing wins together, but at least this loss is to a good team. Uh, meanwhile, Wisconsin claimed some much-needed revenge after their loss earlier that weekend against that same Penn State team. Ayo Donsumu and Georgie Bishanisvili fouled out actually right at the end of the second half for Illinois, and they were forced to play without them for overtime, and somehow even with only three starters on the floor, Illinois gutted out the close win over Indiana on the road, a very tough team to beat on the road every year no matter how good they are, no matter if there are no fans or any fans or a few or a full stadium. Uh, and then in that last game, Clemson, North Carolina, these teams both needed the win to be comfortable with their lo- with their with their outlook for the NCAA tournament. I don't think a win or a loss for either of those teams changes whether they're in or not, but you definitely want a win like this because it gets you an extra quadrant one win, which is very, very important in showing on your resume for the tournament and probably bumps you up maybe a half a seed line or so, and the losing team probably moves down half a seed line or so, and these teams are kind of... No, they're not on the bubble yet, but they're nearing it. So, and maybe North Carolina crept down there with that loss. So, definitely want to be a little more comfortable than that. And North Carolina has to has to bring it together to beat Duke and make sure that they don't pick up a really bad loss. Yeah, that North Carolina Duke game uh, will be an interesting matchup, usually for a battle for the top of the ACC this year, maybe for NCAA survival. I think you and I were chatting about how some of these blue bloods are struggling. Uh, with chances to miss the NCAA tournament, and we could have a situation, as you mentioned, Michigan State. Looks like their their hopes are done. Duke, Duke is Kentucky, Kentucky is not even close. So if we, as I think you and I researched this, if Duke, Kentucky, and Michigan State don't make the tournament, those three teams will be the first time since 1976 that the three one of those three has not been in the tournament. So. Yeah, and Kansas, honestly, Kansas is going to make the NCAA tournament easily, but I don't. I think this is the weakest they've looked in a very long time, too. It looks like they won't be making it past the Sweet 16 if they even make it to that, so might be having a very... Uh, Maybe maybe a changing of the guard in the Blue Bloods. Maybe we got to start considering Baylor's and Baylor and Michigan to be the the kings of their conferences, uh, and it certainly looks like it might be that way right now. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. See if North Carolina can can rebound and get some wins. Uh, let's go to Wednesday's action. We got a lot of games uh, from last week to cover. Number five, Houston upset by East Carolina, eighty-two to seventy-three. South Carolina upset number twenty-two, Florida, seventy-two sixty-six. Number 10, Alabama, avoided the upset by beating LSU 78-60. Number 16, Virginia Tech, was upset by Pittsburgh 83-72. Number 3, Villanova, was upset by St. John's 70-59. And number 15, 
Creighton was upset by Georgetown, 86-79. I guess if you were a favorite, you did not want to play on Wednesday night. No game is a walk in the park for any team, and the loss by Houston really proved that. East Carolina found a way to hold Houston under 40% shooting from the field, and that propelled them to a very, 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 very shocking victory. Florida pulled off an upset last week, and now they're the ones on the receiving end of a shocking defeat to a very overall unimpressive and underperforming South Carolina team. Alabama rebounded from their loss to Oklahoma by getting right back to business and beating LSU. Crimson Tide are now still undefeated in the SEC in SEC play, and at 10-0, they are four games ahead of the second-place team, Missouri, who are currently 5-3 in conference. Those teams actually play each other tomorrow. If Alabama wins that... I, I, they might be almost in clinching territory of the SEC because I think also LSU is even in third place and they've already beaten them twice. So Alabama, I will reiterate it once more for everyone. They will win the SEC. I don't even care if they lose tomorrow. They will still be so far ahead of Missouri that I don't think they can lose, frankly. Uh, Pitt continues the trend of hungry ACC teams beating the ranked teams while getting a much-needed quality quad one win. And I talked earlier about St. John's and their need for quality wins to get on the radar of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee and to garner some national respect. And the upset over Villanova definitely, definitely gave them that respect. That team is playing a very interesting style, one that's very hard to deal with. They like to press a lot. And anytime some team plays a style that's not very common, it's very hard to deal with, especially in a situation like the NCAA tournament. So look for St. John's to maybe even make a run if they if they can keep stringing together these wins and make it. And then there's Georgetown, who's been struggling all season to win. Uh, had a lot of players transfer after last season, including their best player, Mac McClung. He transferred to Texas Tech, and now the best player on that team. And all of a sudden, they were just able to beat a very high-ranked Creighton team out of the blue, seemingly. Meanwhile, Creighton seems to be in a constant free fall as they continue to play really close games against below-average teams. And this loss proves why you can't let any team hang around for too long. And eventually, if you keep staying close with these teams, one of them is going to jump up and beat you. All right, let's wrap it up with a look at four games from Thursday. Number one, Gonzaga beat Pacific 76-58. Rutgers beat Minnesota 76-72. Also in Big Ten action, surging Ohio State had moved up to number seven in the rankings. And in a matchup with number eight, Iowa, they prevailed 89-85 in a very entertaining game. A little closer down the finish than it should have been for the Buckeyes. I'm sure you'll get to that. And Washington State upset Oregon 74-71. Uh, no game is a given, as I just said, with Villanova and with uh, Houston. So that's why I'm putting this Gonzaga game in. Gonzaga actually trailed. For a decent amount of this game, I think they even were maybe only up by three to five points at halftime. Pacific stayed close. Everybody's like, who the heck is Pacific? I mean, look, this is what this is the reality of Gonzaga. They play these kinds of teams all year. Nobody ever knows who the heck they're playing. Nobody really cares. It's just about them beating them by a lot. And this is also part of my argument for maybe Baylor as the number one team because Baylor is blowing out ranked teams by bigger margins than Gonzaga is blowing out complete nobody awful teams. So anyway, no game is a given. Gonzaga still gets the win. They still have the longest active D1 win streak, so they deserve all the credit in the world for that. Uh, this game this game was about staying comfortable in the NCAA tournament for Rutgers and Minnesota. While it is very unlikely that either of these teams will miss the tournament, kind of like Clemson and North Carolina, Rutgers is surely happy to get this quality win and improve their resume after a few after a big losing streak 
they they've really just been up and down all this season. They started seven and one, I think, lost five in a row, and now they've won three or four in a row. So I, they just got to hope that those seven wins in a row come next in the tournament so that they can make it all the way. Uh, Ohio State Iowa was, in all honesty, a surprising result to me. While I thought this game would be very very close, I, I still thought Iowa was going to win. But Ohio State continues to prove that they should be considered a title contender, maybe even a threat to dethrone Michigan from the current seat they're on at the top of the conference, though I think that was another game that actually got canceled in Michigan's COVID pause. So, you know, if you don't get a chance to play against the number one team, oftentimes it's hard for them to, uh, it's hard for you to upset them when they're, when all their games are completely out of your control. Oregon was supposed to be one of the better teams in the Pac-12 this season, if not the best team, but some of their losses, including this one to Washington State, are just really, really surprising, and it seems like maybe we were overrating Oregon a little bit coming into this season. I think they're barely even in the top five in the Pac-12 at this point. All right, well, that wraps up uh, the talk of a very uh, very long talk of many, many significant games and many upsets last week, a very exciting uh, week of college basketball, and as Patrick mentioned, we didn't even recap the Big 12 SEC Challenge that we did an in-depth review of in our last podcast, so... With all that action, Patrick, who did you manage to pluck out as your player of the week in college basketball? My player of the week this week was Julian Champagne from St. John's. He averaged 18 points, 10 rebounds, and one and a half blocks in St. John's. Two big wins, including a 14-point, 13-rebound double-double line in the Red Storm's massive upset over number three in the country, Villanova. All right, well, that wraps up our coverage of college basketball last week. Now let's move to the biggest story of the weekend and one of the biggest every year uh, in sports, and that's Super Bowl 55, where the reigning Super Bowl champions and AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs are looking to repeat as Super Bowl champs as they face off against the NFC champions and hometown Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Raymond James Stadium on Sunday in Tampa Bay. Patrick, this game has all kinds of storylines. Obviously the biggest one, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, the greatest of all time versus his potential and apparent heir apparent. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? I think I've reiterated multiple times this season that I am very, very high on the Chiefs, and I have not been uh, very pleased by Tom Brady's play, in the, especially in the playoffs. I don't think that... I, I'm not going to say that I don't think they stand a chance. I definitely think they do. I definitely think this will be a close game. But I just don't see a way in which... Anybody beats Patrick Mahomes just in general, not to mention in a Super Bowl when he needs it the most, he always shows up. When Kansas City needs him the most, he's always there playing his heart out, playing the best he can. And frankly, I just think that if you looked at the scheme that Kansas City ran in week, in whatever week they played the Buccaneers, I think it was week 10, week 13, something around that, when they beat them... Tyreek Hill had over 200 receiving yards in the first quarter, and then they kind of just let the, the Buccaneers do whatever they wanted for the rest of the game as they stayed easily in the lead. I just think that the Chiefs easily have the positional matchups locked down. I just don't think that really it takes a lot to stop Tyreek Hill. I think last year in the Super Bowl in the first half, we really saw the the... The 49ers do a pretty decent job of holding him down, but I think it was the way that they played the zone and rushed the quarterback. And the Buccaneers don't play a lot of zone. They like to leave their corners on islands, and that's really not something you can do against the Chiefs. 
And frankly, the Niners pass rush last year is probably a little bit better than the Buccaneers pass rush this year, although that's also a good unit. I just think that Mahomes has grown so much, and it's kind of crazy to think that the regular season MVP from two years ago, and or regular season MVP and Super Bowl MVP in the last two years can grow, but he really is. He's, he's, he's crazy young. He's still not even at his potential yet, and he's already the best player in football. I don't think there's anything that can stop him. I, I'm never going to pick against Patrick Mahomes, so... What are your thoughts? Um, I think there's always some things that can stop a, a great team, and it's turnovers. Um, so that's they just need to. Kansas City needs to avoid turnovers. I agree with you. Kansas City, look at Kansas. This is no no revelation here. Kansas City plays its best game, and Tampa plays their best plays their best game. Kansas City wins easily. Um, I, I I wonder if the Bucks are going to be able to get pressure on Mahomes like they have in the last few games, especially with um, Eric Fisher out. At left tackle with an Achilles injury, so if, if that's the, I think that's the key to the game. They have to be able to pressure Mahomes. Well, the problem is with pressuring Mahomes, and this is why I really think that the Chiefs have the advantage. That's that's probably honestly what's been carrying the Buccaneers through this playoffs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' QBR against the Blitz is the best. Would if you created two separate seasons for him on his normal QBR and his nor- or two separate stat trackings for his normal QBR and his QBR against the Blitz, his QBR against the Blitz would be the best quarterback in the league. So I don't think there's really any stopping him. It's, it's yeah, his QBR goes down to by, I think, 7, but I think overall his QBR has been 91, and the next closest is Russell Wilson at 82 over the last two or three years. And against the Blitz, it's still an 84, which is still ridiculous and by the way Tom Brady nowhere near that and against the Blitz himself he's I think below 50 this year and ranked below Sam Darnold in QBR against the Blitz and one thing that I can also tell you is that while we can talk all we want about the Buccaneers and their former Jets head coach as the defensive coordinator Todd Bowles and what he might do there is one man who has been devoted and has been very and has been willing and able to stop Tom Brady in Super Bowls, and his name is Steve Spagnolo. He was the coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator for the Giants when Eli Manning, when he somehow let Eli Manning win a Super Bowl over Tom Brady, holding the Patriots to 14 points. And frankly, I don't see why he can't do it again against. Obviously, look, I'm not saying he fell off a cliff or whatever. I'm not that crazy, but. This is definitely a weakened form of Tom Brady than what the Giants were facing back in 2009 or 2011, probably. If he could have stopped him then with those guys, I think he can stop them now with Frank Clark and Chris Jones and all the Chiefs have. And Tom Brady has made some really errant throws, I think, throughout the playoffs. And if there's one thing that I know about the Chiefs, Tyron Matthew did not get the nickname the Honey Badger for nothing. That man lurks everywhere and no matter where the ball is he somehow seems to be right next to it and when you make mistakes you're getting intercepted by him he might end up honestly he would be my dark horse pick for Super Bowl MVP because if Brady plays the way he did against the Packers throwing two interceptions against Jair Alexander actually uh, and making it look like he had a great game and making him look like the best corner in the league Tyron Matthews is going to look like the best safety of all time in this game if he plays that way. He might end up with four interceptions the way that Brady played against the Packers. No errant throws can be in the area of Tyron Matthew. And the Chiefs, I think, just do an overall great job on defense of passing 
of uh, of their passing defense. And I think they might even rush the quarterback even better than the Buccaneers do. And it's just almost everything that I see, it's whatever the Buccaneers, we can say they do best, the Chiefs do it better. So let's turn the tables here because, we look, it's no revelation that everybody thinks that the Chiefs are the better team. They're favored. Pat, Patrick Mahomes, all the other weapons on offense. So let's turn the tables here. What would it take to happen for the Bucks to be able to win this game? Tom Brady needs to not turn over the ball, and Patrick Mahomes needs to turn it over twice. And I think the likelihood of those things happening individually is less than 10% for both of them, frankly. And I think the likelihood for them combined is even, is even, even, even smaller. I just don't think, I mean, Brady has had at least, I think, an interception or maybe even two in the Saints game, I think. I don't, I don't remember. No, I don't he hasn't quite, been his usual self. He's made some really questionable throws. I don't quite play. remember how many interceptions he threw in the Saints game, but I do definitely remember the three that he threw in the Packers game and frankly kept the Packers around. And if he plays like he's been playing, I mean, we sa- we're, we're saying they kept the Packers around and barring a few decisions and maybe Aaron Rodgers scrambling for a touchdown on third down, maybe they wouldn't even be here in this place because of Tom Brady's turnover issues that's n- not really normally an issue for him but have been recently. Uh, the Chiefs just don't, they just don't make mistakes. And when they do, they, they make a few of them, but... They seem to somehow minimize them. If they turn the ball over on their own 30, it's only it's only ever a field goal. Their defense always steps up. If they muff a punt on their own two-yard line, they go back and hand the guy the ball, and, get, and he gets a 70-yard touchdown run on the very next drive. I mean, obviously I'm referencing Meikle Hardman against the Bills, but... It's it's just insane what they do. They go down ten to nothing, and then later that quarter they're up 28-10. It's just they they you can't really stop what the Chiefs do. So uh, not even the potential presence of Antonio Brown back for the Bucks would, would change your mind on that. He's practiced fully Thursday and Friday. Does that change your perspective on the game if he's healthy and out there to play in terms of the ability, the chance that the Bucks can win or? Frankly, I don't think it does. I honestly think that Scotty Miller and Antonio Brown, as much as this might sound like a disrespecting thing to a disrespectful thing to Antonio Brown, they frankly provide the same thing in just the speed that they that they uh, that they possess in opening up the middle of the field for Edwin or why did I say Edwin's uh, Evans and Godwin? A little bit of a tongue twister. And Gronk and Cameron Bright, I think they, I think that's their role is to open up the middle of the field, and maybe Scotty Miller has more of the deep route in him, which actually might even help them more than Antonio Brown streaking across the middle of the field. So, I, I don't think overall that makes that big of a difference. I don't think it'll change the Chiefs' game plan. I think they're well prepared for whoever they're going to put out there. I think they know that if it's Antonio Brown in the slot. You got to be careful about playing really tight man coverage, and if it's Scotty Miller in the slot, you can't be pressing him because he's just going to run by you. So I don't think that the Chiefs will be really caught off guard, no matter who's playing. And again, I do think this game will be close, but I just think that there are too many things that the too many advantages that the Chiefs have. All right, so you think it's going to be a close game? You clearly think the Chiefs are going to win. Give me your score prediction for the game. Thirty-one twenty-seven. I. I would say though, if you're going to Vegas, don't bet, don't bet on that spread at all. Don't be the, like the guy who bet who bet uh, 2.3 million dollars mattress Mac in Tampa Bay. I mean, maybe a little bit of a homer there, but <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, it's all right. He puts his money where his mouth is. I actually think this game is going to not be close. 
I think Kansas City's going to win, and I say not close, two touchdowns. 35-20 to 20 is my prediction, Kansas City over the Bucks, despite the Bucks playing in their home field. Um, but it's only going to be 25,000 fans. I don't think that's going to make much of a difference in the game. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on my prediction or, or that, that additional note. Well, you know, I, I, I think as a, as a journalist, you, you're, you might not care as much, but especially since I have a claim for my own predictions and like to brag about them a lot, I just, I, I'm going to be honest with you, if I was telling you about this in, in a, if I was telling a friend about this in fifth grade at a recess, I'd be saying the Chiefs are going to win by 45 points, but <laughs> I, 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 I want to cover my bases, you know, a little bit if they're going to, if just in case. Yeah, I can't go too crazy because in reality, I don't think that, I don't think there have been many Super Bowls. There probably, there, there definitely have been a few but I don't think there have been that many that have gotten so out of control in one team's favor, regardless not, of how. Not in your lifetime, the Super Bowls before before you were a sports fan. Well, yeah, maybe the maybe the NFL and the AFL games. when yeah. when no, it was early, still. Before you were born, my son. Yeah. Uh, they, they they were uh, the Super Bowls were known for being terrible games. We've been blessed with really really good games, crazy comebacks. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Recently, and yes, especially recent and especially, you know, I think even if you look back at the Falcons and the Patriots, it's 28 to three Falcons, and we all know how that ended. The Patriots won that game. But even if the Falcons had kept their foot on the gas and had scored even more points in that game, somehow because of the way that football works. Tom Brady would have found a way to make it look a lot closer than it was, and I think that it might be 31-27 in the same way that the Bills were down by 30 at some point last week and ended up losing by, what, 16-17-ish? And in the same way that in week, in, in when these teams first matched up, Tyreek Hill got 200 reception yards in the first quarter, and yet it was a three-point game, but we all know that the Chiefs have won the game before the first quarter had ended. I think it'll honestly be kind of that similar thing where... Chiefs jump out. They might even normally they like to come back for some reason. They like to play with their food, but I think they're just going to jump out to a huge lead. But the Buccaneers will keep it close, and that's what'll put it in that final score range that I put it in. But I think I would I wouldn't be surprised if going into the fourth quarter it's thirty five to seventeen, and it's really kind of over before it gets there. But it still ends up within a touchdown or so. All right. Well, um, we'll find out. Does Kansas City become the first team to repeat? since Tom Brady and the Patriots did it in 2000-2004 and the ninth franchise to repeat overall, or whether Tom Brady gets Tampa Bay its second franchise Super Bowl title and he gets his seventh Lombardi Trophy as a quarterback, which would be more uh, Lombardi trophies as an individual than any franchise has in total. But uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. We will take a look back at Super Bowl 55 in our next podcast, which will be on Monday, February 8th. That wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please do... Tune in to our next podcast, where in addition to the look back at Super Bowl 55, we will review the latest NBA action and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, be sure to visit our website at 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com, where you can check out Patrick's additional content, including those weekend predictions that we've mentioned, uh, Patrick's NCAA tournament bracket predictions, and you can also submit any comments you might have or any topics you would like to have discussed on future podcasts. Thank you for listening.